Okay, ladies and gentlemen of the History Voyager audience, my name is Benjamin Kitchings. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very much for listening to mine. I'm here this evening with Nikki Hafner, and we are going to have a very interesting talk for two reasons. One, because you explained to me that you had grown up going to a white church even though you are now, what do you prefer, African American or? I am. Uh, I'm black. I'm a black okay. woman. You're black. All right. You've grown up going to a white church, but you also live in Canada. But you're you grew up in the U.S. of A. Or yes, or, all of those things are true. <laughs> okay, great, great. When you have so many DMs and whatever, you'd be amazed what you. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> So, so uh, Nikki, um, why don't you tell us a little bit, a bit about your experience? Well, um, I am a, uh, a, like you said, a black woman. Um, I was born in the United States in a conservative desert town in California. Um, I was raised by my white Texan grandmother who uh, loved me but was also raising four other children at any one time. Um, my my mother and father were in and out of my life, but they were good people overall. Um, at least my father was. Um, my grandparents, my grandmother and grandfather took us to several different churches growing up. Um, we started out at the, uh, the Baptist church, then we tried the Southern Baptist church, and then we ended up at a Pentecostal church. And um, that was about the time I was coming into my own and got to make those decisions for myself. So even when my family left the Pentecostal church, I stayed there. That was a new Pentecostal church. And my sister, my older sister, left the new Pentecostal church and went to the United Pentecostal church. So we had the interaction between those two. In addition to all of that, my um, black grandparents, the ones who were from South Carolina and not from Texas, uh, they they went to primarily black churches um, closer to the coast. So I lived in California and I grew up in a small town in the count in Kern County. Um, my grandparents lived uh, closer to L.A. Uh, my father grew up in Compton, and so they ha- went to churches over there. And there were times I remember going to a Pentecostal church and a Southern Baptist church with my black grandparents at in primarily black neighborhoods. OK. Um, you said a lot of different denominations. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them. <laughs> there's a lot of them. So what would you say? Right off some of the, at least from your experience, Mm -hmm. because that's fundamentally what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to drill down to each person's experience. So fundamentally, like, what was the difference uh, that you experienced in the different denominations? Leaving aside the black or the white issue first. Um, I, I don't think you can separate it from black and white, because I think it is it is much more into the denominations in that case and i think that they differ based on the individuals who attend the church as well so while a new pentecostal church is 
pretty well known for being wild and loud. They're the, they're the ones who have a lot of rock music and speaking in tongues. You can still attend a new Pentecostal church that has a more reserved congregation and may not do the rock music. They may choose to do a more mellow version or or a more upbeat version of hymns. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Okay. So, okay, good. So, so there's... And that new Pentecostal church will be that way regardless of if you are in a primary black community or a primary white community. So I know growing up as a black girl going to a white church, I got to see the way the white people acted and the way they wanted me to act. And if I stepped out of line, there were certain things that may have been said or repercussions for that that may not have happened for the white children. Um would you mind would you mind drilling into that or would that be uncomfortable? Um, well, it's all uncomfortable. Uh, I left the church several years ago, so all of this is strange to talk about. Um, but I can talk a little bit about it. For example, they might look at a, look at me and call me a wicked child, tell me I was bad. Um, I would get, you know, smacked on my hands, little things like that. Uh, that was very apparent at the Southern Baptist Church, less apparent at the um new pentecostal church because by then i was a teenager so there was less you know oh we're gonna smack your hands for that and you're you're a bad child by then i had learned more of what was expected of me but i can still say um with the southern baptist church i remember they were very strict with me they expected us to sit for long periods of time um, when you went to the new Pentecostal church, they had it down to about 45 minutes of music and 45 minutes of uh, sermon where the pastor would get up and speak. Um, at the Southern Baptist Church, it was much more like they you were going to be there for three hours minimum. It, it was just what was expected. And even as a child, there were there was a behavior that was expected. Um I was lucky that from the most time, most of my time there, I, I had a wonderful teacher named Marge who was very kind to us, but mm. not all of it. <laughs> um, so those are some of the differences between the way they treated children. Um, I feel like the new Pentecostal was a lot more accepting of, of the younger children. They wanted to incorporate them more into the services. I think that's one of the reasons they did the more upbeat music. Um, the United Pentecostal was a lot more strict, even though they still had like the up, upbeat rock type Christian music and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. They were very restrictive on like what you would what you could wear, how you could keep your hair, even things down to if you were to own a television in your home. My sister had to ask permission from her pastor before she was allowed or i think it was her, the roommate she was attempting to get um whether they were going to be allowed to have a a television in their home they had to ask their pastor first because they weren't married women there was no husband to ask so you okay that's an interesting point and i'm super ignorant about all this so you're gonna have to forgive me um no problem. that's an in interesting point so the social contract if you will with the pentecostals is that unmarried women that have no husband to ask should ask their pastor for things like a television or this was in particular the united pentecostal church of oh, god sorry it's the a united... very yeah and right, um, okay. that's 
a very specific denomination. So I can okay. say this United Pentecostal Church of God had this rule. Now, the the entire denomination of United Pentecostals may not have it in their bylaws. It may be that this particular church was very fundamentalist in their viewpoints. Okay. So you, you the way it works is you have a religion and the religion has a few basic ideas that are all the same. So for Christianity, the basic idea is Jesus is God's son. He's the Christ, right? Okay, yeah. If you're going to break it down to denominations, then you're getting into the semantics of what the rules of the religion are. So where the Catholics get into, you need to show up every Sunday, you need to confess your sins, you need to pay a tithe, you need to light candles for certain things, you need to um, take the sacrament, you need to be baptized. The Catholics have their rules. In the same way, the Pentecostals, the, and that's the overarching theme, the Pentecostals have their rules. In the same way, the Presbyterians have their rules. Then you can break it down even further. And you can say, okay, so there's the, the Pentecostals, and then there's the new Pentecostals versus the fundamentalist Pentecostals versus the united Pentecostals. And then you, and I, I swear you can go for days and break these things into smaller and smaller chains. But the biggest one is going to have a, full, a, a few basic tenets. And if you're part of that organization, then they'll send you pastors, they'll send you financial relief, they'll uh, partner with you to promote events if you're trying to put them on, things like that. So it's, it's actually all run kind of like a business, but also, a, a community service or a church yeah well right and thank you for indulging me and some of my listeners i'm sure um okay so your specific that specific church was was very um conservative um right. now how juxtapose that if you will with your mm -hmm. I guess the the black church experience that you experienced. Well, um, I I don't remember there being Sunday school. That was a big difference. Um, when I went to church with my white grandparents, we would sit for the music or we would participate in the that part of the service, and then they would take the children away. And if you were below a certain age, I think it was ten. In most cases, you would go to Sunday school and have a lesson. But at the the black church, you were expected to sit and listen silently with your grandparents or your parents and take in what the, the pastor was saying. Um, I remember uh, it was it was packed. I, I had never seen any of the white churches I attended packed like this, except during revival season. And revival season is a whole nother beast. I mean, we'll talk about that one day, I'm sure. Um, well, but, okay. I, I'm not my – well, I, I was not raised in a church that had a revival. So I don't know when revival season is. Well, okay. I honestly don't think revival season's ever over. <laughs> I okay. think it just depends on where the revival is going to go. So we okay. ended up with a lot of back-to-back -back revivals um, as the weather cooled down. Are you okay? No, I'm fine. I was just okay. putting, putting my drink down. 
Um, we ended up with a lot of back-to-back -back uh, revivals around the time the weather cooled down or before it would heat up because uh, my desert town is the nicest at the ends or at the not during summer, <laughs> basically, basically yeah. in the middle of of um, of uh, spring and, and autumn is where it's going to be nice. And then sometimes during winter, we'd end up with a few um, because, you know, it's it's cool. And, and when you are at the Pentecostal churches, you've got a man in a full suit standing at the altar, ranting and raving. It's it's very much sinners uh, in the hands of an angry God. Have you heard of that? have okay it's that that is what that's what you're seeing during a revival but you're not just seeing it one night you are seeing it every single night sometimes by seven different pastors over the course of a week and every night it's it's just this huge event and sometimes it starts with the fellowship sometimes it ends with the fellowship but whenever it happens all of the neighboring churches, all of the neighboring churches of the same religion. So basically tons of people from all of Kern County would stuff themselves into our church for the revival. And the goal was to earn as much money as possible for the the evangelists who would come in, who were coming basically on tour at our church so they could continue their mission of sending God's message to the masses. Okay, you've mentioned Kirk County at least twice Kern. on my count. Kern, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Kern, Kern with a K or Kern yeah. with a C? Yeah, with a K. K-E-R-N. That's where I lived. Um, okay, yeah. Well, I was going to say, you mentioned it at least twice mm -hmm. by my count. So I feel like maybe we need to better situate it in our little oral history Cleverly disguised as a podcast, so it's in the <laughs> it's in the California desert. Um, yes. Okay. So I don't live there now, so I don't mind telling you about it now. Um, oh, I lived okay. in a small town in Kern County. Um, Kern County is about an hour and a half south, no, north, an hour and a half north of La, uh, Los Angeles, and about two hours south of Fresno. Roughly. Eh, eh, that's actually really a gross exaggeration. Okay. That's where my town was. The county itself is much larger than that. So county line, you know, it's it's between L.A. and Fresno. The counties out west are pretty big. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're big counties. Pretty big. Big counties. I, Very I small in, population. <laughs> I, I live in Georgia, which has the most counties east of the Mississippi. And yeah. we have very we have very small counties. Um so, yeah. Yeah, Kern County is big. California is huge. So, it makes it, and honestly, if you were to look at Kern County, it's one of the larger counties in the area. Um, okay. But yeah, so it's it's about, where I grew up was about two hours from anything. It was about two hours from LA. It was about two hours from Fresno and about two hours from the beach. So, anywhere wow. you wanted to go. It was smack dab in the middle of a desert, oil fields everywhere, and nothing but tumbleweeds. Wow, actual tumbleweeds. I've only seen a couple of tumbleweeds once in my life. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> tumbleweeds bigger than cars. I am not exaggerating. I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. Um, okay, so 
the black church was much more packed. Oh yeah, uh, every every single time we attended, it was it you were sitting next to somebody, a stranger every time. It was a big part of the culture was to attend services. Um and I I believe a big part of that and I saw it with my family, it's because you it was a community event it wasn't about the religion so much i mean they they believed they certainly believe what they believe and if they don't they're not telling you um the answer to questions like that is we don't discuss that but <laughs> instead um they show up and they show up for each other and it's how they got out information well when you, okay when you say show up for each other because i i know i know what you mean by show up for each other but I have listeners all over the planet, which might not get that American idiom. <laughs> so what it means is basically there's a solid community. Right. Right. Really yeah. solid community centered around a church. Was it centered around a building or was it centered around a congregation per se? Um, In my experience, I only remember the buildings my grandmother took me to, and it was both my grandparents. I say my grandmother because she was the, she is the defining feature of that family. She was the driver of let's go to church, let's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Grandpa, grandpa probably wouldn't have moved if, if he had a choice, um, but he never had a choice because even if grandma wasn't the one getting up and moving, uh, the church would show up at their house and say, oh, OK, we're getting off to church this morning. Everybody is going to get up today. Um, I remember even a few years ago when I came down to visit them, I, I was already down there and visiting them. I came to their house. People from the church were just showing up because they are they are elderly and they wanted to see how they were. They were showing up. My grandmother had a huge tray of fried chicken in her fridge because she never knew who was just going to stop by. That's that's interesting. And also, was this in California or where was this? Yeah, this was um, near chicken. L.A. Um, okay. <laughs> Oxnard actually is is the city. Right. She doesn't live there anymore either. So. And I guess we're talking about. Um, I mean, again, do you prefer the black diaspora or the African-American diaspora? Because Black, please. Okay, I'm sorry. It's okay. Di- it's okay. I just prefer black. Yeah, different people prefer different things. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> um, so fried chicken is not native to Southern California, which, I mean, the whole world eats fried chicken now. But I, I guess, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> sure. So, my 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 black family came from South Carolina. Okay. Um, I don't know much about that, that side of the family, but yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. Hmm. I I just feel like because this is also for posterity, mm-hmm. so I feel like we need to talk about a little bit about um food moving with people. So oh, to we say. can certainly try. Well, we just did. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we just did. Well, if it helps at all, my white grandmother's fried chicken is significantly better than my black grandmother's. Um, I don't know what she does to it, but it is heaven. Oh, you know, I think it's because she uses cornstarch instead of flour. Okay. But her fried chicken is the best, and she's from Texas. So if you were to, if you were to ask me which fried chicken is the best fried chicken... I would say 
Texas, or South Carolina. Okay. Okay. <laughs> of course, you know, in this day and age, that could have just been a different recipe. It could have just been. It could have been, but I think it know. was the breading. I think it's that my grandma uses that, yeah. uh, the, the cornstarch. Yeah. And then she makes a good old gravy out of it. Oh, boy. I'm yeah. getting hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let me ask you about, um, so did you have Wednesday night supper or Sunday night supper at these churches, anything like that? Or, or? Oh yeah, we call it, we called it fellowship and, um, it was, we didn't have it every Wednesday, but most Wednesdays in the afternoon after service, I was as a teenager at the um, New Pentecostal Church, I was very involved. I started when I was 12 and I didn't leave until I was 16. Um, so for those four years, I did everything from run the projector, uh, input notes, keep track of some of the accounts, uh, babysat, ran Sunday school, um, all of the filing. Um, I, I I did everything. I did everything. At some point, I eventually became, <laughs> they, they generously granted me the title of youth, uh, what was it, youth? They were the youth pastors, and I was like the youth ministry secretary or something. Wow. So I start putting it on resumes, and that ended up getting me a shit ton of jobs. <laughs> because, you know, when you're entry level and you're a teenager, you don't have anything to put on your resume. But I was doing all the work. So I knew how to file. I knew how to keep accounts. And so I got to put that on my resumes at 16 when I was looking for jobs. And I ended up getting jobs that paid 12 and plus dollars an hour. So that's the benefit to doing all this volunteer work at a church where they're taking gross advantage of a minor. But anyway, um, they did have meals and and after um, after services, especially during revivals. Those were huge, massive potlucks. But every or, or most Sundays, they had um, some sort of fellowship right after. Sorry. Yeah. And then in addition to that, they had regular women's Bible study, men's Bible study. A youth study. Um, then they had the youth service and they had the Wednesday service. And on all of these things, they would either provide meals or refreshments. Um, when we set up for that, it would often be, you know, the juices, the teas, the waters, the lemonades. And we'd set those up in these giant um, containers with spigots, you know. And uh, when we did the food, oftentimes the, the older ladies would prepare this and bring their crock pots in and then you'd go around and a server would like help you. And so that we were the kids. And so me and my friends would line up at the table and serve everybody so that there was no like cross contamination issue or whatever. Hmm. Looking back, I mean, looking back. This desert town in California, what was the. I guess, what was the draw? What was the industry, the oil? uh, oil. Yeah, there was a ton of oil in Kern County. There still is. That is basically where they're making their money. Um, And you could see it in the high school. Not so much the elementary schools, but the high school was incredibly well-funded. So they had, um, we had the, the best 
the best football team, the best band, the best uh, the best teachers. They paid incredibly well. They offered amazing benefits. Um, we got to do uh, all sorts of programs that I guess other kids didn't get to do. We had um, what AP. Kind of pro- what kind of programs do you get to do? Um, like uh, AP. Um, that stands for advanced placement of vacations basically so over the summer if you could earn i think it was like half of your fare or a certain percentage of your fare the school would cover the rest and then you could go they went to italy they went to france one year and i think they went every year every other year and the school would pay for the chaperone to go and he was um, he was a teacher there. And then they would pay for a portion of the other chaperones and then a portion of each student to go on these these basically vacations. Um, and they they basically said it was for an educational purpose. They were going to see museums. They were going to see the historical stuff, but they were going to Italy. I mean, yeah, they're going to see all that stuff. But, you know, they're going to Italy. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. They were um, also another- going to Italy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing, uh, they had foreign exchange students, so they were really big on sponsoring foreign exchange students and having them come. I'm still friends with um, Camille, who is in Japan, and she uh, she came and I met her as a foreign exchange student and I took her to church with me. Um, they had they put a lot of money into their arts programs. And so. We had really great productions of plays, really, really great productions of plays. Um, they were able to pour money into programs like uh, like we had a, a student work program. So I got a work permit that allowed me to make money at the school. My family was really poor. So being able to make that money at the school was really nice. Um, just all sorts of stuff like that. They were able to pour money into extracurriculars um things like chess club we had so many clubs it was ridiculous Mm. so just stuff like that this is in a little small oil town there and yes yes it's pretty cool pretty cool it is it's it's amazing but it's strange because the elementary schools didn't have the same level of funding they had they had funding but it just it didn't compare to what the high school had. And I don't know why they thought that that was a good idea. <laughs> that is interesting. Um, that is, that is really odd. Um, Another thing that's really cool is in junior high school. So you, basically they had it broken up at the time I went there into three sections. You had elementary school, which is what you went through till grade five. Then sixth, seventh and eighth was in junior high school and then ninth and above was high school when you were in sixth seventh and eighth grade or junior high they had these special programs that you wouldn't expect to get until high school so these are things like shop um where you got to do woodworking and metalworking you got Mm -hmm. to do art you got to do spanish you got to do um fudge there was another one that was really cool, and then you got to do band and theater and all this other stuff, and you got to try out a bunch of stuff your first and second year. And then your mm-hmm. third year, you got to pick two to just really dive into. Mm-hmm. That way, by the time you got to high school, you had an idea of what you were kind of good at and what you wanted to stick with. That's cool. I mean, yeah, that, that's important. Um, So, I guess, do you want to... 
because I really want to ask you your observations from Canada about the United yeah. States. I really want to ask you about that. Well, you may. Um, That's why I'm here. You may ask so, questions. So how did we, or we, how did you, how did you get to Canada, if, you, if I may ask? Um, well, in a car, I, I got in it and I said, <laughs> go. No. Um. <laughs> okay. So you got to Canada. Yeah, no, um, a few years ago in about 2013, I met a man and I fell in love with that man and he fell in love with me. And so it was really lucky that we fell in love with each other. And in 2016, we decided to get married. We also um, were seeing what was happening in the U.S. and we said, this is not healthy. This is not a, a good thing for the world. And we said um, that if if the if Trump became president in 2016, if he won that election, that we would need to make plans to leave. Well, that happened. And so we made plans to leave. And it was fine. Um, you know, we were up here by June 3rd. We bought our house on June 3rd and started moving in. So June 3rd of 16 or of 17 of 17. Okay, so so, 17, so yeah, Trump okay. won the election. Um, it was announced. What was it? November 3rd, 2016. Mm-hmm. And by June 3rd, we were moving into our home that we are still in today. Oh, good. Good. Okay. Yeah. And um, so, yeah. And we, so we came up here and I, I never regretted making that decision. I still feel like it was a great thing for our family. Um, my my child is safer up here. Uh, I know that I'm safer up here, especially after what we've seen on the news the last few years. Um, is that because of racism or is that because just in general? Yeah, growing up in a conservative pocket of, of California, racism was a huge part of my life. I saw it all the time. It, it, I I could say every day. Excuse me. So sorry. No, that's fine. I could say every day. Yeah. Um, I mean, even within my own family, easily within my own family, I can point out instances where, where my siblings hated themselves because mm-hmm. of how they looked or what they believed because they they were told so many times, you know, that they were bad because they were black. It's just so you add that <laughs> you mm-hmm. add that to a increasingly racist situation mm-hmm. in an already racist town and then you add me as a black woman married to a white man with a mixed race child mm-hmm. it's it's a powder keg mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and I knew that looking around I knew that and I was afraid every yeah. day I was afraid yeah it's it's interesting i um i keep getting guests not keep i've had several guests Mm -hmm. that have they're in biracial relationships if i can use that term sure and they keep telling me one of the ground rules is especially if they have kids like one of the ground rules is like you can't talk. You, we can talk about X, Y, Z, yada yada, but you can't. We can't talk about me being in a biracial relationship. And I'm like, okay, cool. 
Okay, but, well, we can talk about it. No, fine. Great. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, when you started talking to me and on Reddit, and when once I found out, that once you told me that you were black, I was like, oh, I want to talk to her. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can talk, and I'm, I mean, I'm very blunt, and we can talk well, about it. I, I, okay. There's, I'm, I forgot. I'm to, uh, I forgot. I forgot to tell you, I'm rated not safe for work. Um, I don't know if you've heard any of my podcast, but uh, no, um, no, I meant to, but I did not have time. Uh, that's fine. Well, listen, I'm rated not safe for work. Um, and frankly, I think I have talks that are about oral history. Yeah. So this is an oral history of right now, right? Uh-huh. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, because think about it, okay. We've gone through, we're going through a technological and cultural revolution. And somewhere down the road, there's going to be a historian or whatever. And what happened, like, what was that like? What was it like to yada, 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 blah, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And so, so would you like to know what it was like to, to, to finally have everything ready and put my child in the car and then drive for 24 hours straight to reach the Canadian border okay. uh, because I was afraid of getting stopped by a cop and not making it. If I can take my Southern out for a walk, because I'm from Atlanta. Yeah. So if I can take my Southern out for a walk for just a second, ma'am, <laughs> you want to go back to when you met your husband yeah. and come all the way to 10 minutes ago or third, let me look at the clock, 35 minutes ago. I'll let you do that. One of the reasons I picked Skype for this is it has basically an infinite storage capacity. Oh, nice. (laughs) Very nice. I didn't know that about Skype. That's one of the reasons I was like, I wanted you to be on Skype because I don't know if you're, you might be more aware of this than I am, but very few people in biracial relationships want to talk about it. I didn't know that, but I know that most people don't get it. They they don't understand the complexities being involved of being involved in a interracial relationship, and even those who are who have the differing identities. Okay. Um, oftentimes don't go into it understanding that. Um, and that's actually a big part of what my new business is. It's okay. like we we dive into what those intersecting identities are and how they make mm. us who we are. And mm. that way, when we're dealing with other humans, mm. we sort of get where each of us is coming from. Okay. So do me a favor. Yeah. Let's, let's take it all the way back to you met your husband, like, and 2013 figured, okay. on a dating on on um okay cupid for those of you who know what that is <laughs> okay all right and y'all met and like that we met and we dated very very casually i had a young child she was six at the time and i i'm not i wasn't in a hurry to introduce her to anyone so we did it very, very casually. I would go to um, to see him, and she would be with my family. And excuse me, sorry, just a moment. Yeah. Anyway, oh, 
um, so I basically for a year, he and I dated casually. And then um, I finally decided that they should probably meet. And he came and saw her. She was at a, a, ba- um, a ballet class. And so he came to see me there and she met him formally there. We went to a McDonald's afterwards. They got along swimmingly. It was wonderful. They do not get along swimmingly now, but that's because she's a teenager. <laughs> okay. Wow. So, um, so that was then after an hour, an hour, after a year of he and I dating casually, what made me finally decide that he should meet my kid is I was doing very poorly in a biology class and I asked him to help me study because he was the smartest person I knew, still is. And he was, he shows up at the Starbucks and we're flirting and sitting down and just talking. And then I pull out my book and he goes, oh, wait, we're really going to study? <laughs> and I start laughing and I said, yes, because if we don't really study, I'm going to fail. And so then he spent the next, I don't know, hour and a half, two hours going over biology terms with me. Like he didn't, he thought we were going to go on a date, like a study date was an excuse. And, Um, but he still spent like two hours, hour and a half, two hours going over biology concepts and making sure I understood each one, like making them connect to different things in my brain and like the Lamarck giraffe and stuff. It was so beautiful. And I knew then that I loved him. Okay. So I felt like, okay, well, he can meet the kid then. And if they get along, we can move forward. And then I became unhoused and I was homeless for a while. Um, I was complete living in my car for about two or three weeks while I finished up school. And then wow. my biological mom, yes, and that was with a six-year-old. And then my biological mom said I could live in her garage um, until I figured something out. So we spent the rest of the summer doing that. Uh, me and the kid, uh, slept on a mattress in my mother's garage for a few months. At the end of the summer, um, the man who is now my husband had finished his schooling and got all of the necessary certificates to go with his degree so that he could start work as a radiology technician. And he had gotten not one, but two jobs and then went on to secure an apartment with two bedrooms so that my child and I could move in. And we were under no pressure to sleep in a room like I was I wasn't expected to sleep in his room. I could either share a room with her or she could have her own room. And the fact that he did all of that. And of course, this was with conversation with me. It's not like he went and did it and then surprised me with an apartment. It was very much like, I'd like to do this with you. Are you in? (laughs) And, you know, it was interesting because I said, I remember saying then things aren't going well and I don't know if I'll ever be able to pay you back. And he said, I would never expect you to. And Mm. it was just so authentic. He's the type of guy that if he's if he's speaking, you know, he's telling the truth. And mm. so, yeah, um, I, I moved in with him and he never asked asked me for anything. He just was there and he was helpful. And I went through a really hard time for a while trying to get my bachelor's degree. Um, 
climbing the ranks, trying to make things work. It was very, very messy for a while, but he stuck it out. We stuck it out. And yeah, uh, got married in 2016 when, you know, things were good. Survived a few more rough and tumble things that happen, you know, sort of naturally. And now we're here to today. Okay. So, <laughs> cool. Th- thank you for indulging that. So, you live in Canada. Um, and, I mean, you told me where you live. And I had a podcast guest from that same area. Mm-hmm. Um, and she described it as a a fairly rural situation um would you how would you okay how would you characterize it i live on the island and from where i have only been toward the southern parts of the island i haven't been all the way north if you go all the way north my understanding is it's much more sparsely populated um also on the west coast much more sparsely populated but on the east coast and on the southern coast primarily Mm. pretty pretty packed i mean i've driven it lots and lots and lots of times um heading down to victoria and home again and whatever and Mm -hmm. i mean you're you're not going long swaths without a gas station you might go 30 30 to 50 kilometers without a gas station uh and that's that's exaggerating look at you being canadian saying kilometers (laughs) see you're actually that's not true anymore because our gas station burned down oh bless your heart yeah so either get gas on your way from the ferry or before you leave town dudes okay so there's a ferry uh i've never i've never been so if you uh, want to get to the island, you either have a boat, have a boat plane, plane boat, I don't know, have a plane or ride a ferry. And okay. the ferry is not cheap. <laughs> okay. All right. So how is, okay, so how would you characterize Vancouver Island um, as far as at least your slice of it as being accepting of your situation? My situation as an immigrant, my situation as a black woman, my situation all as a non- of, all, all of the above. <laughs> well, um, it's not very, it doesn't come up very often that I'm not religious. Um, when it did, I had one woman kind of, oh, but it only, it's only come up once. So I'm going to say generally it doesn't matter. And it only came up because it did matter to her. Um, okay. So the religion part of it's pretty non-existent. Um, as a black woman, I have seen racism. I've I've experienced it up here. I don't know if it's because they know I'm black or if it's because they think I'm an indigenous person here. Um, I know that I have been mistaken for indigenous several times. Um, and Mm. people up here tend to not be kind always to indigenous people (sighs) or they just don't see them which is just as bad. Um, mm. A lot of times I'll, I'll, for example, be standing at a deli counter and the attendant will come up, ignore the fact that I'm there and then wait on the white women who are beside me. And it's like, I was there first. I am in front of these people. Why aren't you talking to me? And then you have a double problem because you know, the woman behind you knows she walked up after you 
and she is choosing not to say anything as well. You know, mm. um, I see stuff like that a lot, mm. that those type of microaggressions that are whispers that say you don't matter. Um, uh, I, I don't have that experience to a serious level, but I was in, I went on vacation to Montreal and I'm a big Winnipeg Jets fan. And I wore my Winnipeg Jets hat. Okay. Mm-hmm. Everywhere I went that whole trip, I wore my Winnipeg Jets hat. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I crossed the border into Quebec, everybody assumed I was A, Canadian, mm-hmm. and B, Anglo Canadian. Yeah. And. You know, as soon as you get into the, quote, real world of the delis and the restaurants and whatever, they're all like, they, they don't, if you're, if I was out of the hotel, mm-hmm. they would, they would ignore me. Yeah. They would completely ignore me right up until I spoke. You didn't <laughs> then, get anyone, you didn't get anyone who flat out called you out for your hat because I've had that happen. Oh, I had that. I had that a lot, but the thing I noticed was as soon as I spoke and I said, no, no, I'm American. Uh And and they're, oh, no, we're sorry, we're sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And they were, it was so bizarre. I remember this one experience exactly. Um, And I I hate to even bring it up to you, but just as an example, um, I was in this deli. And the lady literally wouldn't even look at me. Mm-hmm. I was looking right at her. Mm-hmm. I was about, you can't see me. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was maybe less than three feet from her. There's no way she couldn't see me. Right. And she was like looking literally, she was trying not to see me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 I'm an American. And as soon as I said that, she's like, she snapped into like, oh, we're so glad you're here. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Okay. Gee. Right. <laughs> right. Right. No. So I, I can't even imagine. I mean, I can't even imagine with somebody like you or somebody who's in, uh, I guess, do you call it uh, native Canadian or native indigenous, indigenous Canadian? Indigenous yeah. person. Um, it is, or yeah. a, a one of the first nations individuals, a person from one of the first nations that was just so bizarre and i guess it's because of language and and whatever else but wow yeah Uh, yeah well there's a lot involved in it um there's a whole history between quebec and the rest Mm. of of canada um and they they like to be very special but I have had um, I have had Canadians walk up when I, I have a Las Vegas Raiders mask because I'm a huge Raiders fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a, a Las Vegas Raiders mask that my father sent me right after they moved there this season, this past season. Or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I wore it to the store. And one of the regulars who liked me stopped me and said, take off that mask. Go change your mask. And I was like, no. She, I go, it's not even for hockey. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. And we're friends. Like, I, I don't know. We're not friends. Uh, yeah, her name's yeah. Megan. She's a sweetheart. But I wish we were friends. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's so it's just so strange i mean really it's just so strange the world is a wacky place and you what i've realized is no matter where you go you're you can't run from what's bad you can't run from what's negative in this world the only thing you can do is try to make it better and so when i left the u.s i was very afraid and I feel like leaving was still a good decision because it was significantly more unsafe there than it is here. Um, it was unsafe for me in a variety of ways. So I am healthier for having been here and my family is healthier for having been here. Mm. But there's still problems here. There's still things I have to face. And that's OK, too. And so Wait, I'm do, doing the work here. What do you, what do you have to face there in well, I've I've told you a little bit about the racism. That's still that's something now that I've realized you can't walk away from that. I'm getting involved with organizations to fight it. I'm getting involved with the Black Lives Matter Matter Black Lives Matter organizations up here. I'm getting involved with the Every Child Matters movements. I've emailed the the local uh, tribal councils and asked. Is there something you guys need? Is there something I can do? Mm. I've donated to mutual aid funds. I've donated to bail funds. Um, now that mm. I realize that the problems that, you know, five years ago or four years ago was when we left, that four years ago scared me so badly, scared me into running away. Now I realize they're everywhere. Okay, well, now I have to do something because I'm not leaving this place. This is my dream home, you know, all the time growing up in a desert. All I wanted was to live in a rainforest. Now I literally live in a rainforest. <laughs> you know, you that's, know? That's, that's funny because I, I tell people um, I, Atlanta is in what they call a Colombian rainforest. Yeah. Um, we're one of the wettest places on Earth mm-hmm. or not on Earth, but on in actually where the Brave Stadium is literally actually the spot where the Brave Stadium is, uh, is literally, like, I think actually the wettest spot, it's either the wettest spot or the second wettest spot in North America. Wow. It's actually, it's it's crazy. So even more um, wet than the Pacific Northwest, that's insane. Yeah, we get, I, I read this years ago, and it's still true, that we actually get more rain than the Pacific Northwest. It just comes down in buckets. Like, you know, <laughs> it just literally when it drops, it like it comes down and like I'll give yeah. you an example. Like last night, I was I had finished up cutting this podcast, but I had to throw some stuff on the front of it, and I had to stop because it was pouring down rain. Oh wow! And like you would totally have heard it, like the world would have heard it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just and, the whole world. <laughs> Well, you know, just the part of the world, you know what I'm saying? But (laughs) it's things like that. Um, 
I don't know. So you could have lived here, but obviously you're probably happier there. Um, uh, yeah, I, I could have lived there, and I have a wonderful <laughs> friend there who I would have been thrilled to be near. But yeah. it doesn't yeah. it doesn't get me further from what right. I was afraid of at the time, which I yeah. thought was just. Yeah. scary Americans with all of their guns and all of their racisms toward people who look like me. Right. No, I get it. I was, I was cracking a little joke, but I get it. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, so, so I guess, um, so what are the things that like, what are the things that we face that you think that Canada might not face and vice versa? Um, like what, what does the U the U S struggle with that Canada doesn't anymore? Or maybe not as much or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I think, uh, Canada has chosen to at least largely look at their, the way they have treated, um, indigenous peoples and the native, um, uh, the natives from this land, um, more seriously in at least the, the recent the most recent years the last five years ten years mm. and start to make changes to atone um for everything they put them through so that's yeah. nice to see up here um i i really hope i heard that the um american uh director of the interior is hoping to implement some of these same things down there um, I, I heard that she was fighting for that and fighting for an investigation to the U.S. residential schools down there, which is something that's currently happening up here. Um, I really hope that happens. And I really hope there's a reckoning for all of the people's lives who were destroyed by colonization. Um, so that's one thing. <sighs> um yeah, I mean, just as an aside, I mean, it's it's crazy that what was it was 800 bodies they found in. That, that was just one that, school. That school or the one school, yeah. Yeah, bodies. um, 215 at Kamloops, um, yeah. Yeah. 751 at um, oh geez, I'm not gonna remember all of their names. There was another right. school, 751. There was There's another school a, with um, yeah. 182. And then there's there's been more since then. Uh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And most of these are children, and these are not even counting the ones that didn't leave home for the school but were birthed at the school due to the abuse and rape by many mm. of the priests, um, impregnating wow. young yeah. native girls, and then yeah. killing the children. That, so, wow, that's just so crazy. That is so sick. I mean, just, just it, yeah, very violent, very right. violent, sick, violent and crazy. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's that's something that, th that there's a reckoning for now. And yeah. we we always look back on on history and time. And a lot of people want to say the Holocaust was the very worst of history, the very worst of human, uh, at least recent history. But some of these schools were open after the Holocaust. In mm -hmm. fact, most of them weren't even closing until the 70s. Um, I don't know how many people died later, died in those years, but I, I'm certain the number's not zero. 
That's just me being certain, though. I know that some of the schools, um, or at least one school, was open until the 90s. It's kind of insane. And then my business partner told me today that there are U.S. schools that are open today that are specific boarding schools for indigenous kids. Yeah. Now, just because it's a school, just, just because it's a boarding school, I mean, that doesn't necessarily follow that this was the bad stuff was happening everywhere or all the time, does it? I mean, I'm asking. Or does it? I'm going to go ahead and say any organization that participated in removing children unwillingly from the homes of their parents and then punished them for speaking their native language or trying to follow their native customs engaged Mm. in the wrong stuff. And that is every residential school. I mean, part of that on my part was, you know, there's so many things I have to juggle. I, I can't keep up with literally everything. You know. And mm-hmm. I understand I don't think anybody <laughs> expects people to know. be perfect. And one thing that that Rebel Revolution, the business I have, really um mm-hmm. promotes is having your big three issues. The three things that you are yeah. passionate about and that you fight for and whatever that may be. So that may be race equality, uh, eco equality, you know, climate change or whatever, whatever that is. And then you for everything else, you just do your best and you take feedback where you can. I mean, my theory is this is a lot more common than anybody realizes, because like definitely uh, several years ago, um, there was a boarding school. I'm not going to throw the boarding school under the bus by name but there was a boarding school in my state that had a sex cult among the teachers wait a minute this is where it separates you know this is where it gets really weird so the sex cult survived through cohorts of teachers like so cohort a would leave would retire or whatever but cohort b would keep it up and it went on for years, for decades. And it just oh, wow. got, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. It's literally something out of, um, something right out of True Detective, honest to God. The show, you know, the show True Detective, it's literally something right out of that. It was crazy. And, wow. you know, these these were, by and large, these were privileged uh, upper income white kids mm-hmm. who didn't who for decades didn't say a word right didn't say a word right so it happens everywhere yes you know <laughs> yes uh, while while a abuse happens almost everywhere and if we look at the ab- abuse within the catholic church um especially as it pertained to upper class america primarily white kids um because that's who was at their church if you you know Mm. you can pick out an organization and for some reason they always seem to be religious i wonder what that's about um you can pick out an organization and just say okay where's the flaw here where is their biggest vice what's going on and if you dig deep enough especially in ones that have been here a long time you're gonna find it and sometimes it involves abuse um sometimes it involves 
abuse of the other staff. Sometimes it's of the children they're supposed to be watching. Um, mm. It's all it's all icky and gross. Uh, the goal now, I think, um, is to call for accountability, to call for those who are still living and who did these things to be punished for those who died and did these things to have anything that's been dedicated to them torn down or renamed um, to to respect these children and pay homage to the lives they 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 led and could have led and to encourage the native populations in every way possible monetarily and with our, our energy and our effort and our love um, to reclaim their nations and their, their ancestral lands and their languages and their dances and all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, yeah. So, hmm. Um, so what are some, like, what are some things about, um, like, what are some things that America, in your mind, does right, that Canada needs to work on? Um, something Canada, something the U.S. does right that Canada needs to work on. Ah. Uh, well, I hear that pause. <laughs> huh. Uh, you know what I liked? Well, I Yeah. I can't say that Canada doesn't have it. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. what I've seen and from what I've been speaking to people about, the post-secondary education up here is mm-hmm. isn't as defined as a post-secondary education down there. So down there you go through senior year of high school and then you're free. You can do what you want. And a lot of people choose to go to like a local uh, college, right? Like a Mm two-year college Mm -hmm. or a junior Mm -hmm. college is what it was called where I am. Mm -hmm. And so then you do your junior college and then you can go up to university level if you'd like. And that's where you get your bachelor's if you want. And then you can go up to master's level if you want. And that's your next step. And then you can go up to doctorate. And it's all very, very, very clear. Well, up here, it's all sort of called post-secondary, <laughs> and okay. it's, um, y- well, the degrees are defined as, you know, bachelor's, master's, uh, doctorate, um, that's it. It's all, it all falls under post-secondary. There is no further d- dividing. So I'm trying, I'm currently trying to find a master's program so I can get my master's of fine arts. I want it. I, there are certain things I want in order for this, this to be a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Now, in my effort to look, I have found the local college, which offers courses, but not master's of fine arts courses. I could go a couple of towns over, but that's complex and you have to do all this stuff to get in. It's not like you can just go to one of the public universities sign up and just go Mm. so things like that are different Mm. things like that where it's like i don't know if it's is that because the the college is is the college situation in canada more subsidized than it is in the u.s or or what i don't think so i honestly I don't think that that's what it is. My husband was able to find and enroll in a master's program with no problem. And he's currently taking 
uh, master's of business, uh, business courses, MBA courses or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he'll be done very soon. I don't remember when. It doesn't matter. Point is, yeah. he was able yeah. to find his with little to no problem. But I don't know if that's because he sort of is from here and is used to the lingo and knows what's happening versus me where I'm looking for the shit like I used to in the U.S. and nothing the, oh. the same words don't don't track oh, and okay, it right. doesn't seem to be the same system well i mean we spell words differently and i mean <laughs> you know, i'm just saying you yeah. know, things things are different a little bit sure <laughs> yeah um huh huh Anyway, I think that's probably something that I like better about the U.S. The education system is pretty clear. Um, getting into um, uh, financial aid stuff was pretty clear. You fill out this one form, and then if you fill out this other form, you might get extra money. It was like two forms. Pretty pretty straightforward for financial aid for school, um, as long as you weren't trying to get like specialty scholarships or whatever. Uh, uh, Canada, it's it's more. Uh, I can't figure it out yet. Yeah, more of a to do. Huh. Yeah, I've been trying for about huh. a year, and I'm like, huh. I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna get to do this today. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um. All right. Um. So, did you want to talk about your business before we? Uh, yeah. Um. Okay. I'd actually love to tell you a little bit more about Rebel Revolution. Um. I I have. Rebel Revolution, which is a business and a podcast, and then I also have a, a separate only fun time podcast that uh, doesn't go into the serious stuff. But Rebel Revolution in particular is wonderful because it's challenging the stigma and the privilege and the bias that goes on in our everyday lives by asking questions. And then mm-hmm. we just dissect answers. That's our primary focus. So we we go through um, news stories. We go through lives. We like to talk to uh, people who have lived experiences. Um, we got to talk to one of a man who does work for Wikipedia. He actually works for a university and then does work on the side for Wikipedia. Um, so we got to talk about, you know, the professionalism, uh, the professional side of Wikipedia and how um marginalized individuals are can get more recognition and more um relevance on such big sites um we've also had the pleasure of talking to uh teachers or former teachers who left after you know (laughs) everything with the pandemic and realizing they're not being treated fairly and they're not valued and they're being asked to literally put their lives on the line for nothing um to pay for stuff for kids out of their own pockets. Um, you know, it, we've had the pleasure of talking to a lot of, of very inspiring people and they have a lot of wonderful things to say, a lot of interesting things to say. And we very much value their lived experiences and the challenges that they put us through because we don't agree with everything they say every time either. So it's always fun to have those discussions where we are learning things as well. Um, if you want to learn more about Rebel Revolution and the classes we offer, um, we are working on uh, a 
uh, the four pillars of de-weaponizing um, privilege and bias. That's our next class. Um, you can sign up at rebelrev.co and just click on join our community. Um, you can also find more about the podcast there. And if you're interested in the happy podcast, that's happy, not crappy. You can find that at crappynot.com. And uh, that's just good news. That's all that is. Good why news. do you why do you call it the happy podcast? I, I have to ask. It's like, literally called happy, not crappy. And okay. all we do is we're very, very silly. And we talk about silly, happy, jokey stuff the entire time. So um my I, I we've had stories on there about billionaires giving away money but we've also had stories about fish who drink meth pee and become meth addicts we've had stories <laughs> oh my yeah God. it's wacky we've had stories about whiskey aged in in harrier jets flying 7,000 miles above oh, the ground and God. we've had stories about cheese aged while listening to hip-hop music we have had lots Jesus. and lots of stories about climate change and the wonderful inventions and technologies that are coming out of uh, climate change science and yeah. but we've also had wonderful hilarious science-based stories about cat butts so well, I mean, okay. So let me talk. I I didn't even know you were a podcaster. Oh so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean. It's been almost a year. Wow. I I've actually got three podcasts. One is um currently oh. on hiatus, and so I I try not to promote it too much. But that one I did for that one I have about two years experience under my belt, and then my two now I have one that I've been doing since September, and the other I I think we did our first episode in February. Yeah, I mean, so, hmm, um, what would you say that you've learned from society through talking to humans, your fellow homo sapiens? <laughs> I would say, yeah, if you're looking for the good people, you're going to find them, but you're going to have to look for them. It means weeding out the ones that aren't good. It means, you know, you've you've got to cut your grass every once in a while if you want to find the flowers. And wow. and that's what it is, I think. That's what I've learned is if if you want to find the good people, you can. You just have to look. You know, I don't know if you've heard this term, but I'm a digital I'm barely a digital immigrant. But I'm a digital immigrant, so I, I don't know that term. Well, I wasn't born. I was born before the internet, mm. right? See, see. So we got the internet when I was in high school. Okay, and, and you're was, you're a little bit older than I am. Yeah, it was dial-up. <laughs> okay, it was it literally. I, it was dial-up. I can remember. I remember the sound, and I swear to God. I remember thinking at the time, but see, everybody thought this, all right? Uh-huh. Everybody thought that sound is going to be a revolution. There, there was a sound of the internet connecting, which is literally, and I used to know there was a, there was a, my mother knew this computer genius, and that's a term that's overused, but he really was a computer genius. And he told me what each one of those sounds were. When the modem was talking to eat the two modems talking to each other, he told me what each sound actually was. And I still I used to remember that. 
I wish I could still remember it. But <laughs> that sound was so revolutionary that there was a band that actually put that sound in one of their songs. Oh, wow. Just because they heard it. Like, they literally heard this thing in their record office, and they were like, oh, that's insane. Let's put that. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's record that and put and it on put it album. in a song. That's insane. <laughs> that's insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I brought um, up the internet to our house. With, with that job in high school, I brought yeah. the internet to our house. But it was the internet through the in, through the cable. Right. We had, well, we had um, MindSpring, which mm. is, um, my mother had a MindSpring email address until I think AT&T told her to not have one anymore. Like, literally, like, she. Nice. I, in fact, I, I think I'm wrong there. I think something might have happened or, because she knows people would still have one. I don't know what's going on there. And, and she's going to correct me. <laughs> <laughs> Did she listen to your podcast? religiously um nice yeah yeah my family doesn't know how <laughs> well i taught them i mean I taught them, so. yeah i actually was thinking uh, you know i was looking at the ranking for some reason today and it occurred to me that the only reason i know what a podcast is is because i had a surgery and was laying in my bed <laughs> I was using my phone and I'm so glad that I, you know, cause I've learned that the world is, is such a small place. Yeah. You know, like yeah. the world is so small and our little, not little problem, our problems that we have in this world, lots of people have those same problems right? all over the planet. It's right. just so... Honest to God, it's so humbling to, you know, because I, I do this podcast, or I did. It's on this channel, so you just scroll down and you find it. But I would do these episodes on COVID. Mm-hmm. That's how I started, was COVID and the Spanish flu. Right. And I would get these emails from people telling, you know, telling me, thank you for helping me save my family's life and strangers. <laughs> It's just right. so crazy. It's just so humbling. Wow. You know, honestly. Um, yeah. And I say this a lot on a lot of my episodes, but I really honestly feel, and this is actually one of the reasons I wanted to do this, what we're doing right now, Nikki, mm-hmm. is um, so while I was researching the Spanish flu for my deep dive, because I'm I am at heart a history nerd. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> you know, um, I would read these letters where these people would go through these towns and there wouldn't be any people like the people all died of the Spanish flu. Aww. And yeah. And you talk about how. You talk about how like people did things to Native Americans and to indigenous Canadians and whatever else. More people died because somebody thought they had the Spanish flu and then killed them. Then people died of the actual Spanish flu. Okay, that's fucked up. <laughs> For, I mean, it's literally like one third of the death total, like two thirds of the death total, was because somebody thought you had the you had the Spanish flu, and so they killed you. 
Wow. Literally. That's insane. That is insane. Hello, everybody. That was my talk with Nikki Hafner, and I hope you enjoyed it very much. I certainly enjoyed talking to her. I don't know. I, I've had a lot of th- to think about because I've been doing a podcast. I've talked to so many people, and I've learned so much about our society and so much about this shared experience as just homo sapiens living on the planet. And when I was talking to Dr. Jason Smith, I realized that because he didn't know anything about the African-American church, I needed to talk to somebody who did. And Nikki Hafner was kind enough to step forward. And I just wanted to tell everybody that, um, you know, just to be kind to each other. And I know that sounds trite to some folks, but really, is, is it too much to ask for people to be kind to each other and to respect each other and to, to respect the fact that, you know, people have different experiences that you might find alien but are nonetheless valid. Anyway, so, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Ben Kitchings of the History Voyager, and thank you so much for listening and so much for staying involved and being an audience member in this podcast. I really appreciate it. Again, being a podcaster is the most humbling thing I've ever done. Uh, Thank you very much, and uh, have a nice day. Uh, As always, I'm having a good day, and I hope you are too. All right, bye-bye.